You can bet that any time that Dub Maddox joins us on the podcast, it will be an excellent episode, and that's certainly true in the number four episode in our Best 11 of 2023. In this episode, he discusses what he learned from studying poker and then applying it to football. This is one that will definitely leave you thinking about your approach as a play caller, whether that is as an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. range of play calls like the hands in poker that I can bet on are greatest when I am in position because I have more information at my disposal. So the key takeaway here is that every bet or play call is influenced in poker by position and an opponent's tendencies within that position and the same is true for football. On today's episode we take a look at the framework used by expert poker players and discuss how that applies to football as well as how learning an expert system allows for an acceleration of decision making as well as a more efficient workflow. Joining me to discuss this is Dub Maddox, who is the offensive coordinator at Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the creator of the R4 system. What he's developed within his system provides for a coding for the game of football that allows him to build frameworks and models for play calling that provide for the use of analytics and data in a practical way in game planning, as well as for better decision making on game day. Be sure to check the show notes for our links to other episodes with Coach Maddox. He never disappoints, and I'm positive that you will find this episode fascinating. We share our winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation following the interview. I'm always excited to have great thinkers 
on the game join me on the podcast. And in the past, our guest today and I have talked about fighter pilots in the OODA loop. We've talked about elite special forces in close quarters combat. And today, we're going to get out of the military framework and we're going to take a look at what we can learn about this game and play calling, the art of play calling, from poker experts. And joining me to discuss that is Dub Maddox, who's the offensive coordinator at Union High School. Dub, always great to have you here. Thanks, Keith, for having me on. Excited to be here. So you and I, when we talk, we always share the different books we're reading outside of the game of football. And I know that's something you like to take a look at. What are people in other areas, in other industries, in other expertise doing to be the best at what they do, especially as it relates to strategy, as it relates to the execution of of that strategy and thought processes. So this one I think is interesting. You shared it with me a couple weeks ago that now you've spent some time and went down the rabbit hole of poker players and you've been able to learn something about that. So first of all, what was the spark that said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go away from this military stuff. I'm going to look at poker. Well, it's, it's just something I stumbled upon. Every offseason, uh, I'll take a deep dive into different domains, and I'll buy a lot of books. And over those you know, two or three, four months of between December and April, really, I'll just try to do some research on different domains, experts in those domains, and what are their systems and processes they use to set them apart. And you know, that's really what R4, the R4 system that I created was built upon. It's, it's an expert operating system that accelerates offensive design and decision-making under pressure. And so I really look for uh, industries or domains that have people that have to, to build systems and they have really good design, but they have to really make decisions under pressure. And in the past, I've really struggled with specific game planning as scripting and play-calling decisions. And this is an area that can be overwhelming for a lot of coordinators, especially in today's game. There's so many creative concepts being shared. It can be difficult to pick and choose what concepts you want to call along with the tools you need to defeat an opponent. So that's really where I started looking into poker because as I started to study the experts in poker strategy, I started to see things pop up that could really be applied to football. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. You mean, Dub, that you just don't call it by gut? Those guys just don't play by gut? Well, it's both. And so I think that's the fascinating thing about it is um, – you know, the old school way of playing poker is by gut. But what happened in the 2000s, and really you're starting to see this still up in a lot of domains, because, you know, in the early 2000s when the Internet really came online and information is being shared readily. So you saw this massive shift in football. We were seeing these massive shifts in every domain. And so one of the main shifts in poker was that, you know, guys were going more into a realm of just reading the player and going on gut, where they started bringing to the math and the analytics to it. And so that's really where – Poker took a big leap, and so what you find is is that you really need both. You, there, there's a gut instinct to it, but there's also this mathematical process that they use to make sure they're working and making the best probability calls on a given hand. I like that you bring those two together, and, and I always laugh. We used to always share little video clip, like in our staff meetings, we get into talking about you know the, the use of analytics, computers, and all, all those things, and would always pull up that clip from the office where Michael Scott is following the GPS and he follows it right into <laughs> the pond, right? Like that's right. never what this is going to be. There's always going to be a human element to this. But as we grow in technologies, AI is a, a popular one out there being talked about a lot and coming into a lot of areas. It's going to be how do we use those to make the decisions that 
affect human beings, right? It's not just all going to be numbers and following numbers and playing money ball. That's part of it. But there's always going to be what you bring to it, too, in, in your perspective and your feel for things. Yeah, I know for me, when I started coaching, whether it was the old guys on staff or listening to an elite coach at a clinic, I was always fascinated at their ability to quickly identify space, matchups, best scheme to call on a given down. I, I desperately wanted that supernatural ability to sequence play calls together to set up an opponent. So I, I really was on a mission to find the best way to do it. But all I encountered was frustration. And anytime I had the opportunity to get an expert coordinator one-on-one to find out, you know, maybe their secret sauce, there was always a roadblock of knowledge transfer for me. Um, and this roadblock exists in every domain in the world, and it's the curse of knowledge. Specifically, it's called tacit knowledge. And tacit knowledge is the expert information that is gained through experience. And it's difficult information to attain really for two reasons. One, the only way you can gain it is through real-life experience, you know, repetitions over many years. Or two, you must learn it from an expert mentor. But the problem is with the second option is that most experts lack the language in a process that can build a bridge to transfer that gift. And so surprisingly, most experts have no idea how they know what they do. It's just gut feel, it's instinct that they have gained subconsciously through reps and failure. So here's my dilemma, and, and maybe yours as well, what led me into the poker process was number one, how do I accelerate the timeline of becoming an expert coordinator? And two, how do I ensure that I'm using the best practices of coordinating? And so simply put, how, how do I overcome the time and translation barriers of tacit knowledge? So I was flying pine, just trying to find my way for many years. And so that's really where I started to look into these other domains and specifically started getting to, to poker. And so what you'll find is, is when you, you start to study uh, poker is that, you know, you might be asking yourself, well, you know, you asked this at the beginning, why poker? Well, number one, poker players make bets just like I make a play call. And those are based on situations and probability of hands that the other players could play. So from offense perspective, you know, what's the probability – hand a defensive coordinator is going to play against me and that's going to determine what bet or play call I make. Number two, poker players must bluff and read the tail of a bluff from other players. And I think this comes into play in football too. You know, uh, am I bluffing with the play action uh, offensively or is that defensive coordinator bluffing with a, a simulated pressure? And so those are things that, you know, some commonalities that you can see across both domains. And then number three, Poker players play an endless number of hands, and they get immediate feedback on the gravity of their decision-making. So this environment provides a faster feedback loop of learning for cutting-edge strategies, where at football, I only get 10 games a year, you know, at best. And then if I'm lucky enough to play in the playoffs, I get a few more, where poker players, you, especially with online poker, you can play hundreds and thousands of hands. You learn faster when you get to do that. So that's another benefit of looking at other domains is they might come up with better strategies because they learn through failure more than we as coaches. We just get the experience of, of 10 games a year. Yeah, that's our challenge is reps. I want to take a step back before we walk down this road of, of what we can learn from poker players a little bit more. You said something very important in there in learning from and in becoming an expert is the language, the common language, the coding. And it's something you've always, as a teacher of the game, as you've put together R4 and expanded it and, and all the books you've written, you've done an excellent job of defining things. And I think that's important in our game. If you're going to excel as a coach, I don't care if it's as a position coach, if it's as a coordinator, if it's as a head coach, is that you start to put together those systems and stepping out of the quarterback passing world I can think back to last year's cool clinic 
and Scott Peters from the Cleveland Browns talked about their strike system that they put together. And, you know, it was brevity code. We've talked about that before, you know, brevity mm-hmm. code with, with fighter pilots. It was brevity code and it allowed him to better communicate with his players, but now allowed him to also see, well, this is what's really going on, right? It, taking it away from all, oh, well, you know, I think I've seen that before too. This is exactly what happened. All of that starts to come together with code. And I think that's, you've emphasized it. You mentioned it again here as we're getting into this talk on poker players. Yeah, absolutely. Scott does a fabulous job. I highly recommend checking out his stuff. But again, it's all about common language. It's about identifying uh, the non-negotiables for whatever situation you're in, in in that industry. And then it's putting together in a sequential process that can be basically where you can self-correct. I mean, that's the three key components of making an expert operating system. And so poker players have done that as well. And so I'm going to give you some of those today. So let's get into the poker um, player process of it. And so one of the things that I discovered when you look at poker experts is really they focus on two key fundamentals in the game. One is position and two is range. And so let's look at position first. So position is the order in which you ask your bet. And the position of a poker player changes on each hand as the button moves around the table. So this is like the change of field position or down a distance position in football. Expert poker players' betting strategies adapt to their table position. And there are two main types of position in poker. Number one is called in position, and that's being able to act last. This is when the button is on you, and this allows the player to gather an abundance of information as calls are made around the table when you go last. This is the best position to be in on the table in a hand of poker. And number two is out of position. It's having to act first. This is when you have the small blind on you, and this limits information gathering because you go first in the order of of the bets. This is the least optimal position to be in on the table. So in poker, being in position is the ultimate advantage. And similarly, in football, in position should be the highest priority as well. So this means three things for me. So my takeaways are number one, our play calls must have the ability to adapt to pre-snap information. I never want to be in a situation where I must call the perfect play with only one option. Number two, early in the game, I must realize that I am out of position. Like the small blind position in poker, I need to be more defensive and distinct with my formations and play calls to gather as much information as possible. The defense is not always going to play with the same strategies that we saw on the previous scout film. And number three, the range of play calls, like the hands in poker that I can bet on, are greatest when I am in position because I have more information at my disposal. So the key takeaway here is that every bet or play call is influenced in poker by position and an opponent's tendencies within that position, and the same is true for football. Boy, there's a lot there to chew on, and as you were going through that, a a couple things stuck out. And the first is, you know, not being caught. In, in a bad call. And then, so we go through and we have several ways of doing that. That's something you could put on the players to see and fix. It's something that you can call from the box, but in, in doing so, those are two different methods of, of doing that. What approach do you think is best? And again, how, how does this apply as we dig a little bit deeper into it? Yeah, I think the, when when you study really good defenses, you'll see defensive coordinators, you're never going to see the same front or coverage or look two times in a row. So it's that ability to uh, shape shift. And so 
um, I have to have that same adaptability on the offensive side. I, I most of our play calls are going to be able to go either way, you know, whether it's an RPO based or whether it's a, you know, a, a two plays in one. Very rarely, unless we're playing a not very good team with a defense coordinator that's really static, are we just going to line up and just call ISO? Uh, if that makes sense. I mean, that's that was the old way of football, but but you have to be able to have a system in your offense that can, whether it's a check system or a tag system where you can change based on that pre-snap information that you're getting or the anticipation of, of the range of play calls that he has. So I think that's a critical component you got to have in, in the modern game of football today. So then the next part that you mentioned was, you know, being able to get that information, right? Playing, playing from the, I think you said the blind, right? Like, in that, I immediately, my thought went to, okay, openers. That's what we do at the beginning of the game. And it's important. I think, you know, you, you can utilize the Bill Walsh method or the Brian Billick method and, and something I did throughout my career after I learned it. But I also think, you know, that that's something that just that process of uncovering things that happens throughout the game, right? You have to look at almost like you know, scripting miniseries as you go and thinking about, okay, what, what did we see last time? You know, what are we going to do to flush out exactly where they are? Yeah, I think we're going to solve that problem with the next component of what poker players do. And and this is where really it was kind of the aha moment for me and some that really helped me. You know, Robin used to do, you know, traditional openers like we were talking about with a lot of the Bill Walsh method, Brian Billick method. And, you know, what happens is you get in the game and by the second play, you're already deviating from that script because you're seeing, you know, different things that you didn't anticipate. And so I think that's where the poker elites have figured out, you know, a better process and, and, and one I'm excited to, to get to. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team mofo.com slash demo and mention coach and coordinator podcast or use the coupon code cc10 to receive 10 percent off your first year let's dig into that i'd love to hear again what you learned in that application to call and plays yeah so the second part is range we talked about positions so that's the first fundamental and so knowing where you're at on the board and being able to understand the information you can gain based on that position and, and the aggressiveness of your plays based on position is critical. The second one is range. And so it, range in poker is every hand an opponent could logically have in a specific situation. Uh, so like, you know, possession in 10, you know, second long, you have to be able to gauge from an offense perspective, the range of possible things a defensive coordinator can do and that's really based on your game planning and your film study so poker has evolved to where skilled players they no longer think in terms of single hands 
in the primitive poker game, you would just, you know, you're thinking about that single hand you're, you're playing right there. They think in terms of range of, of possible hands the opponent can have. So this is where the math and the analytics come in, the probabilities come in. And the same can be really said in football. So like, for example, we rarely see static coverages in fronts anymore. At least I don't when we're, we're playing. And if you look at the next levels of football, you, you don't see static cover two. You don't see a static under front. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of uh, disguising. And so the same thing is happening in poker. They're, there's, they're thinking more in range of possible hands that you could play. And just like I'm thinking more of the range of possible coverages, alignments, and pressures that you could play on a given down. And so in poker, elite players strive to narrow down an opponent's range as much as possible by tracking their patterns of play. So this is really where the magic happens. So they do this by separating opponent's range into two categories. So number one, it's called value hands. They're trying to track, okay, what type of value hands could they have in their possession? And two is the bluff, their bluff patterns. That's the two most important things that elite poker players are trying to track from the opponents on the board. What is the possible number of value hands they could have? Is it pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket jacks, whatever? And are they bluffing? What's their bluff patterns? So from an offensive football perspective, I see value hands as the range of coverage and front alignments that defensives may call on a given down. So like on a given down, what's the range of possible coverages I could see here? And also what's the range of possible fronts I could see here based on my film study or my profile that I've built on this defensive coordinator? I see bluffs as post-snap pressures, blitz, or movements that deviate from a static coverage or a front norm. And so that's that's how I kind of build that analogy from poker to football is, for me, value hands are what are the possible coverages they could be playing or fronts, and then the bluffs are what post-snap movements, pressures, blitz, or different things they may do from a static look could I see here. You know, are we seeing that in film? Are we anticipating that in the game? So. What elite poker players do is they build a range map to pinpoint these value hands. And this is what, what I've done with football is I, I'm building a range map with our game planning process. And a range map shows every conceivable pair of cards an opponent could have. This map is a mental model used throughout the game to calculate an opponent's possible range and style of play. The most important trait for an expert poker player to master is the range of possible hands a, an opponent could have. And I want this ability for me as a football coach and a play caller on the offensive side, I was missing this mental model. I was missing a model that reflected the board position and range map that elite poker players use. But luckily, the, these frameworks are kind of already built in the R4 system. So this is kind of how we did it with R4. There's really three steps to building a, a range position map is what I call it. Okay, the position board that we use is a 16 box framework and it's built on four rows and four columns. And so I'm just going to talk really about the first the first row today because um, that's all I have time for. But you'll get the idea. So there there are four rows of down positions. So you have first down row, second down row, third down row, and fourth down row. And these are the four columns of situations. And, and so in, or, and then the four columns of situations are going to be rhythm, read, rush, release, and that's where we bring our four component. So each box is like a hand of poker. And so I need to know what's the cap range tendencies that a defense can show on a given situation. And so CAP uh, is an R4 acronym that stands for coverage, alignment, and pressure. And the CAP is equivalent to the value hand and bluff that elite, elites track in poker. And so in breaking down an opponent, I must go through each position on that film and study the CAP ranges that are being played. 
like I said, I don't have time to go in full detail, but I'm going to do the first first down to give you an example. So the first box in the upper left-hand corner of our 16 box is the first down row. That's the rhythm phase for us. That's possession and 10. That's the rhythm phase. I mean, you've got to really study possession and 10 and understand what's the range of possible coverages, fronts, and pressures that I'm seeing based on scout film or, you know, my anticipated looks from that coordinator. So most PN10s are out of position. You're in that out of position because you're located on the side of the field after kickoff return. So these are critical calls because they establish the rhythm of a series and a drive. And there's all kinds of analytics that talk about, you know, how good you are in PN10 determines your, you know, ability to, to score on that drive. So in huddle, what we do in, the, in our huddle platform, you want to create a playlist of all your PN10s in the game. And in that section of the map, you'll list the coverage, alignments, and pressures seen on film. And so an example cap range on PN10 may be, you know, they're 75% cover three and they're 25% cover zero on PN10. All right. And, and that position, that's their range of coverage. And their alignment is maybe 80% even front and they're 20% odd. And so what we're doing is we're creating a similar range board that poker elites use when they're trying to see, okay, does he have pocket aces, pocket kings? Is it double twos? Whatever it is. That's where we're modeling what they're doing there. And so what that does is that allows me on PN10, okay, here's my range. Here's my probabilities. Well, here's the plays that I need to call based on these basic coverage and front looks. And then it's important to note that the range position map is, you know, just a global measurement of the defense. I don't need to go deep into the different styles of cover three I'm seeing or cover zero. You know, is it three clouds? Is it three buzz? Is it three weak? That's something we can circle back to and get to later. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we get too in the weeds on what we're seeing, and we need to keep that global perspective, especially early on in the game planning process. And so this range map really helps me stay zoomed out. And, and understand, okay, here's the core concepts we need to use to attack this specific situation or position on the board. Right. And, and then, you know, we talked about the, the first down here, and those are the things, just as you're looking at it, been able to gather that data, and those are the things you figured out in the office, right? And so the game's dynamic. There's going to be things that change. How does that come into play with, you know, value hands and bluff patterns. Yeah. So the first thing I talked about was, was the value hand is the coverage and alignment. So we did those, we do those percentage in the box. So for example, for more done with our, with this process, you know, we'll look, okay, what's their possession and 10 probabilities for the coverage and alignment. And so we can see those percentages there. We can talk about the, the concepts we want to call. Well, then we have to talk about the bluff patterns and that's the P and cap. That's the pressures. So bluff and poker are equivalent to pressures in football In poker elite players that study opponent tendencies don't track exactly what the bluff hand is, only that they are bluffing with a certain frequency. So we kind of model that. I don't need to know what blitz pressure movement they're doing early in this game plan breakdown. I just want to analyze from a global perspective on the first pass, what is the frequency of pressure and label that with a simple yes or no followed by percentage. And so, you know, what, whatever movement or um, if they are doing a movement or a blitz or a pressure, okay, Let's just talk, maybe they're doing it 60% of the time. All right, so 60% yes for pressure in that PN10, and it's 40% obviously no. So that's what we need to know from the first pass. If they're 100% no, they're very static, well, that's going to be a lot easier to really break down and, and to game plan. So once we get that cap process and see their value hand probabilities and their bluff pattern probabilities using that cap process, it's easy to look now on PN10 to know, okay, here's our plan. 
and it allows me to take that same sheet up in the box during the game and see if they're deviating from that early. So we'll have that box filled out real big. We have those percentages on there. So we have a coach tracking, you know, we can go back and luckily we have um, sideline video. We go back and track, you know, are they staying true to who we thought they were? Are they deviating? Is it now that they flipped the script and now it's you know, 80% pressure, 80% cover zero? And so I think that was something that really helped us really narrow down and understand a clear pattern of building a profile of how Devin's corner calls a game. Right. Taking this just a step further on, on game day, definitely see the value of your range sheet. What I'd like to just hear a little bit about here is what's that communication process sound like for you guys over the headsets? How do you, you mentioned, you guys do have the sideline replay, so you're able to gather data from that, but all of this still needs to work somewhere in that, let's say three to seven minute time range where now you're gathering data again and, and proceeding with that new set of data or any adjustments you have there. So what's the, what's it sound yeah. like in the headsets, you know, during a series, after that series, and, and I guess the, the planning going into that next series? Yeah, so, so from, the, from the range position, the map that we create, that, that is all handled in between series. And, and that's really where we're kind of you know, going back and looking at the play calls that we made during that drive. And are, are their coverage and their front and their pressure probabilities, are they holding true? Are they, are they are, as, as the old uh, the Dennis Green video, they, they are who we thought they were, you know, um, deal. Are, they, are they playing like, like how we thought? And then, and then, no, they deviated, right? So they're, they're going to be more aggressive. They have nothing to lose, right? So we need to maybe circle back and adjust the protections or think about some different play calls. Um, that's really where this is handled. In the headset, there's not a lot of talking during a series really going on. It's, it's basically, you know, standard stuff down in distance. We have a coach that's eyeing the secondary, and he's given us – we have certain cues that we look for, and, and this is another framework for our force called the HALO hard deck, apex, line of center, outside space. And we have certain co-work cues that we have to coach in the box that gives me because I'm on the sideline so I can help see where the best space is and where the man advantage is. We have some things there, but really it's, it's pretty quiet other, other than that on the headset. So then moving into the series is over, what's the, I'm sure there's a pattern for you on how you're going to go through the data and again, you know, say, hey, they're, they're deviating. Here's where we go to on the range seat. Yeah, so if they're deviating, especially on first down, we'll have, you know, ancillary play calls that will adjust on the play call sheet. My play call sheet is built with those key situations, kind of using that range sheet. And so we have ancillary plays in the cooker there that we can go to if they're deviating. So maybe they're going from, you know, more of a zone coverage to a man, then we'll, we'll, we'll adjust that way. But that range, you'll, what you'll see when you fill this range sheet out, you'll see like those probabilities are there. And so, you'll have those answers ready to roll, even if it's a small percentage. And so that's the, the benefit of it. So we've looked at that rhythm box on the sheet. I know you have a few more across the top, so we'd love to hear how you approach those as well. Yeah, so the first down row, there's really you know four key categories for first down that you need to find out what that defensive coordinator's range is. And, and then you can also flip this too. I mean, if you're a defensive coordinator, there, there's going to be, you know, range positions of hands that offensive guys are going to play on certain down distance situations. And so the second box, the read box fourth, is the first first down of a drive. So after the first first down, okay, what is the range of possible coverage front and pressures that we're seeing from a defensive coordinator? That's the read phase. The rush phase is the first down after an explosive play. 
So a lot of times you'll see a shift of thinking or a shift of calls or a shift of range hands, you know, bring that poker analogy into it after the first down after an explosive play. And so I want to map what that looks like based on the film I'm studying. And then the final column is the first downs in the red zone. That you're going to see another shift there. And so once you, you use the same process, the probability of coverages we're seeing, we keep it real global. It, you know, is it zero, one, two, three, or four? Not, you know, I mean, we're not getting to all the exotic coverages. Just keep it real global. What's the fronts? And then what are the pressure patterns that we're seeing there? And it's a very simple process. It's so simple. You can offload this to anybody on your staff, and they can fill out this range map for you just using your huddle tools and your data entry. And it really frees me up to get deeper into the weeds um, in the game planning pro- process. So really the three benefits of this position range map are this. One, it is easier to script the defensive looks for practice for me because I have a pattern of expectations in key positions. And that's something I really struggle with in practice. I, you know, what front and coverage or pressure do I want to, to put here on the script against this look? Well, now I can use the range position map. Okay, it's first down day here. Well, here's the, here's the probability of looks we're seeing. So this is what I'm, I'm selecting there. And number two, the knowing the range of possible defensive play calls allows me to protect my play calls or exploit a tendency in a defensive coordinator's play call style. So knowing the range of, of, of styles that he plays on a given situation, it really helps me protect myself from a bad play call, or I can exploit a tendency that I'm seeing in him. And then number three, it provides me with a method to practice calling the game before the game. I think this is really key. I just simply lay that range position map out for me throughout the week, and I'll just go, for example, okay, PN10, all right, and I'll see, okay, they're 80% cover three, 65% even front. Okay, what's my call? You know, maybe it's a certain pressure. What are we doing here? And so I can just play that what if game going through that map, box by box, position on the board by position board, and see that range. And I just practice playing that game out through my head. So on Friday night, it becomes much smoother. So I've read all your books, been able to sit in clinics before you and I have had some individual clinic sessions and we talk ball frequently. And I know for somebody who's sitting there, maybe hearing some of this for the first time, this seems like a a lot. But I can say from the learning perspective, I know anytime I've gotten into it, like I just can't put it down. And there's definitely moments and it's become helpful. But for you, the results for you and thinking back to the days when you weren't using this stuff, you didn't have R4 yet, to where you've progressed now, how has this made the game for lack of a better word, simpler for you and improve the workflow both for you and your staff? Well, it's given me basically a process to get everyone in our staff seeing space and seeing the game through the same lens. And I think that's the biggest roadblock as a coordinator that any everybody has. I mean, this I hear horror stories from friends I have at you know, power five level, um, even some guys in the NFL. It's just, you know, when you get on the inside and behind the curtain, Everybody at every level is struggling with the same thing that you're probably struggling with if you're a coordinator in, in high school. And it's how do I align all these different perspectives and these experience levels and get everybody seeing and calling things the same and seeing it through the same lens. And R4 basically lays that framework and that workflow out for you. That's the, the benefit of it. When you can get everybody in that room at the same level of thinking, the same level of perception, using the same language, that's where magic really happens. I can relate to everything you said there. I can think of specific stories throughout my career, but the workflow, how has it improved? I guess the time that you're going to put into it, right? Everybody says, oh, you got to grind and you, you, know, you hear about guys sleeping in the office, et cetera. How's it helped your staff as far as workflow and efficiency? 
I think it, the, the goal for R4, and if you had a moniker for it, my moniker is it, it accelerates everything. And so I think that's the benefit of it. I think a lot of coaches, when they, they kind of glaze over R4, they'll look at some of the frameworks and be like, well, that's a lot. I'm overwhelmed. What you have to understand is that anytime you're taking an expert system or you're speaking to an expert um, in any domain, they, have, they struggle with teaching you the steps that got them there. What happens when you get that expertise level is you learn how to skip steps and essentially bend the curve. And so I, when I teach a, a coaching staff or I go in and do a consultation, I have to teach you the rules that the game of football is governed by and the rules of the system. And that can be a little bit cumbersome, but if I don't teach you the rules, then I can't teach you the next part of how to bend them. And I think that's what elites do is they know how to find the shortcuts, find ways to accelerate and jump and skip steps where it just becomes gut feel. At the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, experts don't have to think. It's just reaction. And there's a lot of infrastructure you have to build in order to get there, but it takes work. And that's really where the crux is, is you have to be willing to put in the time to learn the rules, learn the framework, but understand once you do it, you get to skip steps one through ten. Well, Dub, I really appreciate you taking the time to share this framework modeled after poker experts. I think there's a lot of insight here. Definitely one that I think go back through and take some notes. There's there's definitely things you can learn from Dub here. And for the coaches who really want to dig into this more, what's the best way to do that? We have the R4 system online. It's r4footballsystem.com. I have these. I'm actually building these frameworks I'm talking about some teaching modules for them. It's a great resource to, to, to get on and learn what the frameworks are. You can also purchase the books on that website as well. I think that's what I would look into. If you're a coach looking for more, you can find me on Twitter at, at Coach Dub Maddox if you have any further questions. But didn't get to dive into everything of it today. Um, there's a lot more behind it. Uh, maybe it'll come out in the book soon. Never know. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to that book. And just to give our listeners a preview of some things to come, we will – be having Dub on the podcast and guest hosting for us a series here this summer. So I know uh, you have some some great topics lined up and it's going to be a fun series as well. So that'll be coming here. Double get to it after some spring ball here, but expect that in the future from him. So coach, again, appreciate the time. Love what you're doing and look forward to what you have for us in June. Thank you. Here are our winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, study other industries to learn more about how you help your own processes, workflows, and models for decision making. In a previous episode, Dub shared what he had learned from the military. He explained how studying expert poker players led him to a better understanding of how to approach analytics in order to create a better gut feeling for a play call. Stepping outside of the game can lead you to some breakthroughs that may give you an advantage. When you have issues with what you do, whether that's how to use analytics, how to prepare more efficiently, or how to evaluate performance for your players, for example, ask yourself, what industry does this really well? Ask people you know within that industry, and you may start to see a better way that you can apply to your own coaching. Two, do the work you need to be able to better communicate and solve problems. Dub talked about tacit knowledge and how most experts do not know how to transfer their knowledge to others because their experience has led them to a gut feeling or instinct that they cannot explain. What Dub has done in creating his R4 system has not only helped 
himself, but has also helped the coaches who work with him. They're all able to work within a common thought process because of what he's done to code everything and build processes that he can teach others to replicate. Three, be willing to break out of the paradigms that the game has created. I'm willing to bet that 90% of us use a call sheet that looks very similar. We all use a template that organizes our calls in the same way. In studying outside of football and developing his own frameworks for himself, Dub's been able to create a call sheet and other tools that work better for him and how he sees the game. Yes, that takes work, but in the end, it's about figuring out what's best for you and your staff and the way that you think about the game, especially as related to your offense or defense, and how you best prepare it and execute it on game day from a play-calling perspective. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com for enhanced show notes with links to related episodes, resources, articles, and with our Winning Edge takeaways detailed in text. Also sign up for our free weekly tip sheet, which highlights the best ideas from the previous week, trending episodes, and featured resources. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.